Aoife, in the show, you talk about Angeline Palmer, a Black girl in Amherst who was about the same age as Emily, who was orphaned and had to work from a young age. There's more to Angeline's story you didn't get to share. Can you tell us about that? Yes, there is more to the Angeline Palmer story. Slavery may have been abolished in Massachusetts by the mid-1780s, but this story of Angeline Palmer takes place almost 60 years into that supposed freedom that illustrates the ongoing menace and reach of slavery. The story comes to us via an interview conducted in 1902 with Henry Jackson. Henry Jackson was an African-American man important to the business interests of Emily Dickinson's father, her grandfather, her brother, and a man naturally well-known to Emily. At the time of the interview, he's 85. But let's go back for this story to a time when Henry Jackson is 23 years old and on the scene as a member of the Amherst Three, who helped save Angeline Palmer from a gruesome fate. So here we are, it's 1840, and Angeline Palmer is 11 years old. She's a child of African and Native Indigenous descent who is orphaned at two years old when her mother dies of smallpox. Times are really tough in 1840 Amherst, especially for the approximately 50 African-American residents who are living close to the edge. It's so tough that Angeline's grandmother, who works as a domestic servant, can't even make time to take in her orphaned granddaughter, nor can the girl's three aunts. So Angeline is taken in by the almshouse of Amherst, That's the place you go if you're destitute or orphaned. This is not what happens to wealthier, a.k.a. white orphans. When Emily Dickinson's best friend Sue is orphaned, she gets taken in by her relatives. And by the way, Emily is growing up in Amherst at the same time as Angeline. She's just a year younger than Angeline Palmer. So the children of laboring families are working by the time they're 11 years old. And that's the age at which Angeline is, quote, bound out to Mason Shaw and his wife, Susan. They live in Belchertown, 10 miles southeast of Amherst. That's where Angeline learns the work of domestic service, which is taught to her by an older girl, a 17-year-old African-American girl who is already working for the Shaws as an indentured servant. So one day, Susan Shaw, the woman that Angeline works for, is reading aloud from a letter her husband has sent her about their upcoming trip to Georgia. Angeline isn't there. Mason Shaw details a scheme whereby they'll take Angeline to Georgia and sell her to a slave auctioneer. He explains to his wife that when they return to Massachusetts without Angeline, they will claim that she simply ran away. It's very possible 
that the 17-year-old servant girl working nearby overhears Susan Shaw reading the letter. It would seem that rather than tell Angeline, the 17-year-old conveys the Shaw's slavery scheme to Angeline's older brother, Louis. When he learns of this plan to sell his sister, Louis is distraught. Louis immediately seeks out his two good friends who will be key players in this drama, Henry Jackson, who works as a stable hand, and William Jennings, a laborer. The three friends are all in their 20s. The three African-American friends appeal to the selectmen of Amherst. That's basically the town's supervisors. They're five older white men whose response is, hey, Mason and Susan Shaw wouldn't do that. And remember, the Shaws went to Georgia last year with the 17-year-old servant. She came back safely. It's a totally discouraging meeting. And the three friends decide that if they're going to have to take matters into their own hands, they will. They'll take Angeline away from the Shaws and, if necessary, keep her hidden. Two days before the departure for Georgia, Angeline is permitted to take the stagecoach into Amherst to visit with her grandmother, her aunts, and her brother. The 17-year-old servant goes along as a traveling companion. It's likely that when Angeline sees her brother, he reveals the Shaw's plan to sell her into slavery. Angeline runs to her grandmother. All we know is that a very upset Angeline arrives at her grandmother's door and spills out the story of the Shaw's plan to sell her in Georgia. Just garbled enough that Angeline's grandmother turns for help to her employer, a powerful white man in the town, and tells him everything she knows. Meanwhile, and unbeknownst to their grandmother, Angeline's brother Louis is creating a plan with his friends to meet the stagecoach in a remote place on its route back to Belchertown and to remove Angeline and run away into the woods with her. Next morning, however, their grandmother's employer goes over to Henry Frank's livery stable. Instead of the girls taking the regular stagecoach back to Amherst, he arranges private transport to get them safely back to the Shaws. He tells Frank, take a roundabout route. Don't take the normal stagecoach route. Besides owning the stable, Henry Frank is also the deputy sheriff. And he's concerned that there might be somebody lying in wait to snatch Angeline at the Shaw's home. So he sends someone on ahead, the 10 miles to Belchertown, to tell Susan Shaw and her daughter to meet the girls near the center of town instead of the Shaw home. It all worked perfectly. The two girls arrive in Belchertown without incident, 
The Shaws pick them up and take them back to the Shaw home. Meanwhile, Angeline's brother, Louis, ignorant that his grandmother's boss has thwarted his plans, starts out early with his friend, William, to walk to a remote spot somewhere between Amherst and Belchertown, where the regular stagecoach will pass by. And they'll halt the stagecoach as if they were going to get on. They'll reach in, grab Angeline, and escape to safety. So the stagecoach arrives. They look in, but they don't see either girl. Lewis is heartsick. He and William run all the way back to the center of Amherst as fast as they can. Meanwhile, the third member of the Amherst Three, Henry Jackson, is at work, as he usually is, at the Frink livery stable in Amherst. He gets wind that something's wrong with the rescue plan he helped develop with Angeline's brother, in part because of Frank's unscheduled trip to Belchertown. Henry Jackson's suspicions are absolutely right because into the livery stable burst Lewis and William to tell Henry their tale of woe. And that's when Henry Jackson takes charge of the entire operation. The three young friends go to James Coffrin, a white man and a butcher in Amherst, someone they know as both tight-lipped and helpful. It's even possible that Henry and James Coffrin have worked on other missions like this. Coffrin suggests that the three young men head to the Shaw's place in Belchertown. By the time they get there, he says, Frank will be long gone and they can snatch Angeline from the Shaws. Coffrin lends them a fast horse and a buggy. When the three friends arrive at the Shaw house in Belchertown, even before the buggy stops, Lewis has leaped out and he races upstairs where his 11-year-old sister is packing her belongings to go to Georgia. Angeline is upset, perhaps because her brother is so visibly anxious. And the two are loud enough that Mrs. Shaw, downstairs with other women who have come to say goodbye, hear the two siblings. The women all run upstairs where they see a, quote, crazed black man. So the women start screaming and they slam the door of Angeline's room and throw the bolt, trapping sister and brother on the third floor. Lewis leans out the window to see if there's any way for them to get down onto a nearby roof, but there isn't. So Henry Jackson and William Jennings leap from the buggy and run inside up to the third floor. They throw the bolt open. To Lewis's enormous relief, it is not Mason Shaw armed and dangerous, but his two friends come to save them. Henry Jackson leads the rescue party with William Jennings in the rear, who keeps getting swiped with a broom by the women who are chasing them. As they run down the stairs, Angeline loses her travel bag and Mrs. Shaw falls. Angeline and the three men leap into the buggy while people from nearby buildings and houses run to the growing bedlam. Henry Jackson, skilled stable hand that he is, takes the reins and they get away, speeding towards Amherst. Uh Uh-oh. They approach a slow-moving rider, and as they pass him, he looks over with curiosity at the fast-moving buggy. 
it turns out to be the sheriff who knows Henry Jackson quite well. Remember, Jackson's employer, Frank, not only owns a livery stable, but he's the deputy sheriff, except this is the sheriff sheriff, the head of the whole operation, Sheriff Dwight. He orders them to halt. Can you imagine what is going through the minds of the four young people in that buggy? Henry Jackson turns to his two friends and says, I'll do the talking. Sheriff Dwight says, well, now, what's the big hurry? And then speechifies about the danger of speed on the road. Henry Jackson replies, Do you have papers or lawful authority to detain us from proceeding to Amherst? Sheriff Dwight is so surprised by the direct question that he waves them on. By now it's twilight of a very eventful day. The four go directly to the farm of Sarah and Spencer Church, white farmers in North Amherst who have eight children. Two of their kids are Angeline's age. The churches agree to care for Angeline and, if necessary, hide her. And by the way, the eldest church child, 15-year-old Horace, will soon become the Dickinson's gardener, working there for three decades. So now, with Angeline playing safely with the church children, her brother Louis and his two friends plot their next move. Although they know that Sarah Church is trustworthy, they don't think Amherst is safe. They reach out to a black woman named Hulda Kyles. She advises them to take Angeline to Colerain, a town up near the Vermont border, to live with her relative, Charles Green, a trusted man. The next morning, the three friends come back to the church farm and tell Sarah Church that they're taking Angeline to safe hiding. She doesn't ask where. Angeline's brother, Louis, stays in Amherst to confuse authorities. Henry Jackson and Hulda Kyles travel to Coleraine with Angeline. And then Henry Jackson goes elsewhere for several weeks until the reaction to the abduction cools down in Amherst. And at the same time, their third friend, William, who had helped with the rescue, leaves for Keene, New Hampshire to, quote, attend some business. That very same day, Susan Shaw arrives in Amherst and files formal complaints against the three friends, plus Deputy Sheriff Frink, owner of the livery stable, who she believes was also involved in the conspiracy. Warrants are issued to arrest all four on charges of assault, abduction, and unlawful imprisonment of Angeline Palmer, as well as the assault of Susan Shaw. All four plead not guilty in Commonwealth versus Henry Frank and others, and they are represented by Edward Dickinson, the father of 10-year-old Emily Dickinson. Did Emily Dickinson know anything about this case her father was arguing related to the abduction of a girl her age? Frank is found not guilty, but the now-named Amherst Three are found guilty of all charges. At this point in the trial, the judge 
calls the three friends forward to the bench. And he says to them, I'll let you go freely without sentencing if you will reveal Angeline's whereabouts. The judge appears unaware of the Shaw scheme to sell Angeline in Georgia, and thus he is unaware of the three men's motivation to kidnap the child. So why didn't they tell him? Because if the three young friends reveal their motive or her whereabouts, it would jeopardize a network used to transport those fleeing slavery. The Amherst Three turned down the judge's conditional offer of freedom. So he sentences them to three months in the Northampton jail, where the jail keeper almost immediately starts letting them out during the day as long as they'll come back and sleep in their cells. The three young men enjoy plenty of visitors, bringing them food and clothing. Three months later, when they return home to Amherst, all sorts of folks, white and black, congratulate them on their heroic rescue. And being a hero apparently makes you very attractive. Within three months of their release from jail, Lewis, Henry, and William are walking down the aisle, arm in arm, with their new brides. And Angeline? She continues living safely in Coleraine. All things considered, the 17-year-old, whose name is not known, may have been quite relieved that the court case kept the Shaws in Massachusetts, postponing that vacation in Georgia. This story tells us something about the gain Northern white people could make from the slave system. I should say could and did make from the slave system. And it also tells us about the strong secret networks of safety that could triumph, as well as the heroics involved in the safe passage of each and every single person using those networks. It raises questions of what exactly is freedom in the North? Does it exist? What is the nature of freedom then and now? But the story also tells us quite a bit about love, about a brother's immense love capable of electrifying a well-planned network that could and did save his younger sister. <laughs>